Hi. Hello, everyone. Um, apologies for being a little bit late. Um, we had some technical problems. Um, PCs mounting um, and players and everybody mounting. Welcome to uh, <laughs> our discussion for episode two and a few other bits and pieces and at least get on the right screen so I can find out what's going on. Okay. Um, oh dear, I'm absolute nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, that's much, much better. Oh, thank you. Oh, um, uh, yeah, at least Neil's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, the, the whole point of these little uh, mini dev corners and recaps is for you guys to get the uh, some feedback from the players and everybody else, as well as for those people that uh, join us in chat, which by the looks of it at the moment is us, <laughs> um, <laughs> then uh, you get to ask us some direct questions, et cetera, and we'll give some feedback um, upon what's going on. Um, first of all, the uh, very first question is, well, actually a question for myself, um, to all the players is, um, how, what did you think of your FOA experience? We should go first. <laughs> Which way are we doing this? Is there a, is there an order? <laughs> uh, we'll start uh, from from my left as usual, uh, which this time is uh, Harriet. Ah, okay. So um, it's definitely uh, get, it was it's interesting getting my head around it, um, but uh, it's getting there now. And well, just like every other game, and I'm actually really enjoying it. There's uh, a few bits and pieces that still might need a few times me going over but that's the whole point of the introduction so yep. carry on <laughs> carry on ah. um i've been left on my own what should i talk about now um yeah so yeah i love that it's just all like story related how like each piece is really helping the story rather and the characters uh rather than here's another skill you got for no reason sort of thing <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, and then Kata Amber. Okay, so you, uh, out of everyone here, you've been with us the longest. Oh, have I? Oh gosh, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, apart from myself. <laughs> I mean, that makes it seem like I should know what I'm doing and be all experienced. But that's uh, just never yes. the case in anything I do. <laughs> no, but it is. It is actually. It's a lot easier to pick up than it seems like it would be because it is in highly new mechanics like there is so much that is so different to what i'm used to because i'm very used to like 5e and that sort of thing um and it is it's so different but it's so much easier to pick up than you would initially think um and i know part of that is because like anytime i've had a question i can literally be like ian you made this game how does it work um <laughs> i don't know I mean, I'm, like, that's... I'm just making it up as i go along <laughs> there is that there is that um but i mean like that that sort of those times are when like this the campaign that we're doing and like best corner and stuff will answer those questions um but yeah i do love as well that you don't go into every encounter thinking yeah i can totally win this because like in uh 5e for example most of the time you can walk into an encounter and be like this encounter has been designed for our party so we can most likely beat it so we're just gonna not really worry about the risks 
um, and all of the time and effort you are kept on your toes because you know that things can kill you and it might just be because they rolled really well it might be because you're just not ready for the encounter um, but you do have to be a lot more strategic and you do have to actually think through your divisions um, which I enjoy, I like that Good, superb, uh, Mike, Eric So for me um, it's it's a one-to-one -one basis between this and D&D &D and There are other games out there well, of course, but I mean, I've not played a lot of them. I played Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which obviously this has, this has some elements of, but it's most likable to D&D in its current format, or it was when I first started playing. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays, it's gone a whole other direction, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. Like, there needs to be more systems out there that take aspects of things, but also put their massive spin on it, and I believe that FOA has done that massively, and I love playing. I love playing. I love all, all of the extra little bits and bobs that have been added or taken away from or um, edited or like the, just everything that has been done to make this game what it is now. I think, like, I just love it. Absolutely love it. No, thanks. There are a couple of original ideas in there. Only one oh, or two. Of course. <laughs> There are a lot of original ideas. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there are an awful lot. <laughs> no, okay, uh, that's great. Uh, from from my point of view, ultimately, at the end of the day, it was a game that uh, was created for, say, myself and um, some friends to play. But the whole point of publishing it is it for, is for it to be accessible and enjoyable for other people. So, from my perspective as as FOA's creator and developer, it's it's great to hear that you guys are enjoying it. Um, I know, obviously, like Harriet, you've only been with us short, for a very short period of time. Um, but let's try and expand a little bit upon um, what you found. You, you said you, you found the classes like immersive. You found it, it was it was easy to connect the, what you were playing to the game world. Would you like to attempt to expand upon that a little? Uh, I guess. <laughs> um, let's think. Well, I did find the. Um, like the way that the classes have been created, it's all reflecting the world itself rather than, oh, here's a knight, here's, uh, you know, just reflecting re regular fantasy roles sort of thing. This one actually, you know, expands upon the world itself into the, into the, into the, um, the classes. Um, and once you get your head around like one or two mechanics, which is, which will get explained pretty damn well in, in the book itself when, when it comes out. Um, it's just really intuitive in, in the way you just start building on top of things. And it's, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, cool. Uh, what about you, Eric? We'll leave shortly to last. So um, I, I love certain, certain systems that I can't go into right now, um, but it, it makes it so much more fluid than any other game that I've ever played. Um, it, the the leveling up system and that sort of thing as well, um, and different different variants of those sorts of systems in the combat system and other such systems. Um, they are uh, that it makes everything so much more fluid. It makes leveling up more fluid. It makes the combat more fluid. It makes uh, everything just feel like it's more realistic as well and that is something that i love 
and it means that I can really get into the game itself um, and the role play itself as well um, because it makes more sense for it to work like it would in the real world rather than it being a, a oh look you've leveled up you've now got this 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 and this and uh, <laughs> sorry sorry I, I i i was waiting for that comment in chat because um, <laughs> somebody mentioned authentic but yeah um yeah it it does feel a lot more authentic than and it it does feel a, a lot more it's intuitive and um it makes more sense as i said before so that's that superb and excellent that's, that's great stuff uh and amber sorry um, i'm just so myself a drink Damn it. <laughs> um <laughs> So I would actually, just to follow on um, from what Eric said, um, Mike, uh, um, <laughs> um, it's Mike here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, from what Mike said, um, it's, you know, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so the combat system is so much more fluid and so much more authentic. And especially like when I approach it, like my thing is stage combat. So like I've done combat in real life and there's so much of it where like you don't just like have the same people like you don't have any order to it it is very much in the moment um so the fact that you do have to roll initiative every time and it is constantly changing as to who's going when that just feels so much better to me that feels like yeah like mike said a lot more authentic um yeah yeah also yeah carry on oh no carry on carry on i was going to go on to a different different branch Carry on. Okay, um, I was just gonna bring up um times like for example when our good friend Neil gets eaten by doors. Um, <laughs> like, you need to know what you're doing if you're healing, like because you have so much. Um, oh, I don't want to get too much into the mechanics, <laughs> so I'm just trying to think how to reword this. Okay, you only have so much power. Um, of course. So you no, need I, to know say, well, I've got I've got no problem with revealing the fact that you use a mana and power based system. So instead of using yeah. spell slots, you have a certain amount of mana and your spells cost one mana or one power per level of the spell. That's just a simple yeah. mechanic that is used in uh, in other systems around the world. So it, it's not a new idea. Yeah, yeah. So because you only have so much uh, mana or power, um, obviously you don't want to be using your spells left, right, and center, especially knowing how dangerous the world of FOA is. Um, so if someone, for example, gets trapped by a door and is bleeding out all of a sudden because of yep. a door, <clears throat> Neil, um, you <laughs> how to use your medicinal skills, have used pace, and actually like it encourages you to be a lot more descriptive about everything you're doing. So I think the FOA as a whole encourages you as a person to be a lot more imaginative and to see what you're doing and to describe what you're doing so as a as a tabletop rpg it really does bring out the role player in you without even really you trying because it's just it's so there awesome thank you very much checks in the post um, <laughs> <laughs> Good call. yeah um and to go on that because a lot of you touched on um the combat mechanics because Obviously, um, 
as, as has been made aware, uh, FOA is a fifth edition open game license system. So it's a D20 system based on the OGL from fifth edition. Um, though, admittedly, there is very, very little of 5e left. A few spells in its kind of core-based mechanics and some inventory items. Um, but the whole premise of it is, was to try and make it as, to use the buzzword of the day, authentic as authentic as possible <laughs> because if it's if it feels intuitive if it feels authentic um if you look, look at a lot of other role-playing systems and certainly some other d20 systems and, and things like that um they're built on a premise of, of simplicity and i hope um, as far as you guys are concerned that we've made the uh, combat system simple enough obviously it's got some complexities in it that go beyond yeah. uh, uh, the normal d20 systems uh, for example you can break your legs your arms you can get knocked out etc and things like that but that's part of the it's authentic feel um and what we're trying to do was try to give that rationale that realism that authenticity and that authenticity provides an intuitive link to it because you can imagine if you get punched in the head hard enough you rob you might you may get knocked out that's a realism, whereas other D20 systems where you just have this block of hit points, and even when you're on one hit point, you're as fully functional as anyone else. Um, whereas in FOA, if you're on one hit point, the odds are one of your legs is not going to be working very well, your, your arm's broken, or you're even unconscious because somebody's cracked your skull open. Um, so you get that cumulative sense of damage. And you build on top of that our critical injury system where you can, arms can get chopped off, legs can get broken, ribs can get broken, nerves, eyes can get ripped out, or somebody chops your head off, which is kind of a bad day. Um, but, <laughs> just a regular Tuesday, really. Yeah, that's, yeah. Just a regular, that's, that's, just a Monday, that's just a Monday evening for us. Um, but that authentic realism that is part of... Um, FOA's core principles. If it was authentic, it should be rational. And if it's rational, then it's easy enough for you to be able to pick up. Even though that obviously compared to other D20 systems, we have a lot more complexity and not just in our combat system, but in our, our way our spells work and, and obviously um, taking magic system one step further. As we've got Eric here, we'll touch on the sorcerer and sorcery a little bit later on. Um, uh, which takes magic to a completely different level. Um, and I completely lost my train of thought. Hey. <laughs> Four hours ago. Yes, I just talked myself into a corner, but oh, never mind, it happens. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, we try to make everything rational. rational. If, you, if you look at other D20 systems that have a core um, pool of hit points, um, all you're doing is causing damage and then just adding a little bit of flavor. For those of you that may have watched um, episode two, you would have seen uh, Moose's battle with the bear where he wounded the bell's egg, which reduced its movement and stopped it from being able to react and things like that. Um, and if you, for example, if you're fighting a guy with a 200 sword, you break one of his arms, you can't swing his big chopper at your head and etc. So there's all these little nuances that are built into combat, which especially for the fighter types, makes combat a little bit more flavorable. Um, in other D20-based systems, um, as a fighter, all you do is swing your sword, add a little bit of color commentary, 
sit down and wait for the mages to argue about what spells they're going to cast for the next two hours, <laughs> and then wait for it to come back to your turn. Uh, <laughs> where, <laughs> in FOA, in FOA, you've got the choice of depending upon what skills you take of being tactical. Right. Um, if you're a pathfinder, right. Um, I'm going to try and kite this guy. I'm going to target one of his legs, try and immobilize him a little, and then just move around as a fighter. I'm going to try and take down his shield arm. I'm going to try and immobilize him. What am I going to do? Um, and when it, when that's just when you're fighting humanoids and you go up the ladder until eventually you're fighting dragons and you can go, right. Um, dragons took off. I oh, listen, really got a deal. Let's try and shoot its wings out, bring it down to earth so that we can kill it. Um, or teleport onto its back and drop into a pool of lava, one or the other. Um, don't know what you're on about. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but as I said all that rationale was 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 what made me want to build FOA because I was playing 5e and Pathfinder and uh, lots of other lots of other D uh, twenty systems that were. And even this goes all the way back to it was something that frustrated me playing original Dungeons and Dragons and AD and D and Second Edition where you only had these like core of hit points. Um, Eric mentioned just before we come on screen or earlier that he played uh, Warhammer. It's like Warhammer was the original Warhammer uh, role play game used to have a location of hit point system. I've not seen the new one, or at least a locational damage system. That's what kind of gave me the idea that if we had that in a D20 system, then we could build upon it and try and make combat uh, a little bit more authentic, a little bit more real, and certainly a lot more dangerous. Because mm. um, I just felt certain systems were just too safe and it was boring. Would that be a, a reasonable summary for you guys? Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty reasonable so. summary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that covers it. <laughs> okay. No, oh, no, sorry, I'm sorry. You just had a, a mute symbol on your screen, Amber. Okay, um, we've got a question from uh, Twitter, and this leads us on to something that we touched upon uh, on uh, Monday's session, was what the hell is skill mastery? Okay, um, <laughs> but then this is a question mainly aimed at me. Um, okay, uh, for years, me personally, I've always been kind of disappointed in the concept of an experience point system where you're just wandering around, killing things, gaining experience, picking locks, etc. Uh, you get enough XP, you level up, and then you just spend an instant just writing your new sets of skills down or whatever. Um, and it didn't feel organic or natural enough. Um, so this is quite last minute. I threw the entire point of experience or mice or even milestones out the window and built in what we call skill mastery and spell mastery a system wherein rather than gaining experience to reach a level you spend your entire time period between reaching say level two and going towards level three learning the skills that you would acquire at third level so for example uh we'll take thavar who's just become a legionnaire um wow. if she was going from level two to level three she would learn skill precision which would allow her to target her blows wherever she wanted around the body rather than just flailing wildly um very good skill for fighters by the way or, or at least or anyone in the, the warrior archetypes um so at level two she would find somebody to teach her the skill initially 
And then she would practice it and then go out into the real world and get into fights and try it out and, uh, uh, and have a uh, role-play narrative as to what she was trying to do. Um, sometimes it would work, sometimes it would fail. If she fails too much, then she needs to go back and find someone or go back and see whoever taught her or find someone else who can help develop her skill. And once she's finally mastered precision, so that she's reached 100% uh, proficiency in that skill, she's mastered her skill for the level and has effectively become third level. So she no longer has to make skill checks or whatever um, for precision. And then she goes, right, you move on to whatever skill she's going to learn at fourth level. So your progression, your growth as a character is built into the narrative in your actions of the game rather than it is at the moment you reach a level, you go, right, we spend one month of downtime while you learn this, pick a few new spells, and off you get. And similarly with the casters, I wasn't a fan of the fact that spellcasters, whether you're a priest or a, or, or a wizard or whatever, or a cleric or a druid, that you reach your level and suddenly you just get these new spells which you just add to your, your spell list in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't authentic, it wasn't rational. Um, so we did away that and we got spell mastery, which is the way, exactly the same premise that spellcasters can learn spells. Um, as soon as you become level one, you're capable of learning any spell within your spell class's repertoire. Obviously, level some people might say oh that's very very powerful um but there are mechanics built into it that make casting higher level spells beyond your current proficiency shall we say um very dangerous um like uh we'll get into the sorcerer uh shortly but if you were for example at first level and you find a a first level uh, magi and you find a, a scroll of wish or a wish spell and miraculously you learn how to use it, the odds are when you attempt to cast it, your head's going to explode um, because you're not skilled enough to manipulate all, all the areas of magic around it. So uh, FOA is something I've tried to do in FOA throughout is make sure that there is balance, there is that, um, those checks and balances. So something may sound powerful, for example, the Sorcerer is a very powerful class, but it has a lot of checks and balances in place to hold it back and keep and and, for, and stop people from going too far with it. Um, and that's from a, a GM point of view, something that is certainly made prevalent throughout the entire Games Masters uh, companion about what to look out for and how to hold some of FOA's more powerful game aspects in place. So hopefully that covers skill mastery and that's kind of what we were doing in Episode uh, two, um, part two of the prologue, with lots of training montages. Eric trying to float his potatoes around, um, Kada being seduced and lectured on the dark side, or at least um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> someone's perspective of the dark side, and uh, Favor having sparring lessons with Granite. Um, so obviously, uh, Granite being an Orgat visionary, he's teaching. That are the basics or what is known as basic training. Mm. Okay. Um, now, quickly to move on to, uh, uh, I think the only people that are actually in chat at the moment are us. <laughs> and <me. laughs> uh, so, quickly to move on to some, some questions for you as players. Um, 
what do you think <laughs> of your players so far and the way that the prologue is structured? Obviously, the, as I've told you off camera, um, but the prologue is just designed to introduce your characters. It's something that I didn't want, didn't want to do the traditional, you all meet up, you're all like level three, you all meet up in a tavern somewhere and you're some all best friends. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was a case of trying to create something that your origin stories were put out there for people to see. So what do you think mm -hmm. of it so far? So we'll start with, yeah, we'll start with Amber. Oh, okay. Um, oh, so I honestly, I love it so much because normally when you meet in a tavern for five minutes and then you're like, yes, let's go on an adventure. I would die for all of you and I've known yeah. you for a whole 10 seconds. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that's not a thing. Um, it's, yeah, this, this way of like, whether we are all having chances to interact, but we're not being forced to be a party. Like, obviously there will come a time where we do come together but we're not being forced into it it's actually when we do interact it makes it that much more meaningful and also i feel like when we do get to to fighting side by side i personally will care a lot more about every single person in the party um because i'm not forcing myself to care about them <laughs> sense. um when, when you're not yeah. sacrificing themselves to some mysterious dark <laughs> uh, they, they it. They, you know greater good um yeah <laughs> Yeah. Okay, and Eric? Um, so I'm really enjoying it myself, um, particularly because I don't have to actually interact with this party if my character doesn't want to. Um, mm. And I honestly think that, yes, I would want to interact with certain people, um, but I also want to avoid others. And um, when we get into the thick of it and the actual like combat, the pro uh, like when we get into it, fully um as amber said i could i think i'm gonna appreciate it more and i think i'm gonna care more because it it does it it's so much more meaningful making an actual connection in a in a role-playing sense than just being forced together and going oh yeah you're actually all friends already it's like that doesn't work in the real world um you don't make you don't make friends by just going hi like I'm in a tavern, I'm going to come and talk to you. Sometimes it might. Other times, and most of the time, people are going to look at you and go, what the hell are you doing? And so being forced into it, obviously we've been forced into the situation, but we don't have to role play with each other. We don't have to interact with each other. But when we do, it makes it that much more meaningful. Thank you, Spirit. And Harriet? Yeah. So, um... I'm not going to reiterate everything that they've said because they're pretty much this <laughs> is pretty much the same thing. But um, yeah, it's like it's great seeing how Pavar like it's it's fun developing her because I'm I'm still getting there a little bit, but I think I figured her out. But it's also helping that uh, I've, I'm watching the way that she's reacting to the people like the non-playable characters and also the playable characters. So it's like I have no reason to have anything to do with Kada yet. Not really. I mean, she's been there to heal me, but there's no reason for me to talk to her. But I have every um, every reason to talk to uh, Morden because uh, Rob's character, because we're we're both in the same area. We're both going to the fighting rings every day to do the same thing. And again, I have no reason to talk to Eric or and and of course, um, 
we uh, our mysterious ranger friend has gone off and we never see him so it's like it's really fun just seeing how we're gonna end up all coming together in the end i mean there's been some clues obviously but um it, it's really fun seeing it all slowly being woven together rather than just being thrown at you there's been no clues whatsoever because i haven't saved yet <laughs> <laughs> well you've thrown in one clue you've thrown in one clue <laughs> Like, oh, somebody needs to talk to a Caribbean. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 so uh, um, that's superb. Um, and as we were on the topic of Eric, um, right, we will hop into the sorcerer and sorcery. Um, though the majority of the classes, the sorcerer and the sorcerer class and sorcery itself is one of the optional rules and optional classes that can be found in the Game Master's Companion. Um, traditionally, um, all the other magic using classes um, are classes that you would be more familiar with. Um, sorcery is one of FOA's uh, crown jewels, so to speak, um, where, where we've abandoned the entire concept of spell lists and spells, and we've developed a system wherein uh, Mike, Eric, is, and yourself as a GM or anyone that plays a sorcerer is capable of of completely creating magic or literally anything that your imagination is capable of thinking of. Um, obviously, as we mentioned earlier, there are lots of checks and balances and we're not gonna go into the full mechanics behind sorcery because it is one of our, our, our crown jewels as mentioned, but um, it gives you, the player, or you, the GM, um, creative license to create magic um, as, um, Bartold was explaining to Eric, um, all the other magic users, whether you're a ghost of Fremrin praying to Darakos, uh, or whether you're an Archimagus, or whether you're a druid, or you're, you're using somebody else's magic or somebody else's inventions, or somebody else's spells, unless you make up your own spells, which you are entitled to do. And inside the Game Master's Companion, there are guides that to help GMs create their own spells and players to create their own spells. Creative license is a key thing, but sorcery takes it one step further. And it's a mechanic and a system that allows you to create magic at the tabletop. Um, rather than going, right, uh, I've got magic missile, how can I use that? Or I've got shield, or I've got fog cloud, or I've got spider climb, you know, all the, the normal spells and some of the utility-based spells, etc. Um, now, as a sorcerer, Eric gets to literally use his own imagination to try and find ways around problems, which is why um, with the scene with the potatoes, when Bartold asked Eric to lift the potatoes up, um, it was then handed over to Eric to describe how he was going to do it or when he was asked to try and um, infiltrate into Bartold's mind what you're imagining, how you're going to do it. Um, and it's that kind of interaction between the GM and the player, which is essentially comes to a check determined by the GM, depending upon what the sorcerer is attempting to do. And if the sorcerer fails, there can be 
side effects or if he fails by too much, if he's trying to overreach himself, as Baratod warned him, depending on what you're doing, the universe has this habit of pushing back. Um, and when it does, you suffer feedback and feedback is bad. You can turn yourself into out, inside out, your head can explode, turn yourself into a duck. Um, you, are <laughs> you are completely at your game master's mercy. Um, so there's that check and balance. You, for example, sorcery, you could attempt to do anything like cast the wish at level one, but the odds are the DM is going to set a very high DC, one of which you are going to fail and you are going to blink out of existence because the universe decided, <laughs> yeah, 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 all right, Sonny, that's a little too much. I'm not going to let you do that today. Um, and that was the essence of sorcery. That's a creative license and creativity. I looked at a lot of systems um, and just went, okay, that's just not, some of these spells are ridiculous, which is why a lot of spells from uh, the 5e open game license didn't make it into FOA, just, just throw them away just don't like them. They just removed either role-playing opportunities or danger or um, thought processes from players. And sorcery gives you that creative license as a player to make magic. Um, and that, to me, um, is why sorcery is one of FOA's crown jewels. So how are you finding the sorcerer and sorcery Eric, sorry, I am absolutely melting here. So I do apologize. <laughs> um, so for me, um, it's amazing being able to play it. Um, for for one thing, because it gives me so much freedom to do basically whatever I want. Um, and yes, there are obviously limitations. There are obviously the certain checks and balances that I do have to adhere to. But it gives me so much freedom in what I can do and what I can describe and what even so much as to go like I could create my own spell. I could create a brand new spell that there isn't one in the book, there isn't one in um, in the world, there that it's not taking inspiration from anything. It's literally just this is a brand new spell. I can just go, okay, I want to do this and say what i want to do and it can be done and that is something that i don't think any other system has ever had um at least not to the extent of this if i am mistaken um and it is as ian said the crown jewel of foa this is the absolute peak of inspiration and creativity um on both players and obviously the actual writer of FOA's part. No, thank you very much. Um, I quite enjoy it. I'm quite proud of it myself. Um, <laughs> especially when I give it to dragons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, um, that's a little insight to sorcery. Obviously, we've not given you any, uh, given away any mechanics on how it worked. Um, but it is along with our vocational combat system, which we've touched on before, which is also one of our crown jewels and a lot of things that uh, you'll find inside the Game Master's Companion, like our Build a Better Demon Wizard, our Monster Creation Wizards, um, guides, etc. things that hand over creative license to you, the GMs. Because um, at the end of the day, I look at the way that modules and adventures and a lot of things are written today, and they're very prescribed. 
Um, and to me, the concept of role-playing, the concept of, um, it is an, a form of interactive creativity. Um, if all you're doing as a uh, GM or a DM is just regurgitating somebody else's stuff, it's completely different. When um, Mike first joined us for, at the beginning of the, our final test phase, um, one of our players, Dan, took over the job as... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just read that as Luxia, well. Luxia, is that um, Rob? Yes, that is Rob. <laughs> okay, here, just checking. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, so Dan took over uh, duties as GM and I'd, I'd already had some prescribed, well not prescribed, but some written adventures for it. Um, and the way that FOA adventures are designed is we provide you with the background, the base license, um, and what we call plot hooks or plot devices, etc. And then it's left up to you as the GM to create the adventure. So you're given the, the kind of the objective, kill the necromancer on the other side of the wood. And we give you an idea of what types of creatures live in the wood um, and a few other bits and pieces. And then we leave the rest of it up to you rather than the way that most adventures are written today is your objective is kill the necromancers on the other side of the wood. And here's a hut, there's a hut, there's a hut. And what's in, and you're told what's in each, in each of the huts. Um, you, it, it, it's what I call prescribed role-playing. It's very easy because you can just pick up the adventure and run it. But if you get used to the guides, like the NPC creation guide, um, the monster creation guide, etc. inside the games, you can literally pick up an FOA adventure and no two GMs will run it exactly the same because you're not told what's supposed to be where. You don't know where the necromancer is going to be, if he's going to be on the other side of the wood or the middle of the wood or, he's, or if he's in town having a coffee. Um, it's totally up <laughs> to you as the game, as the GM. And that's the type of adventure the type of creative license we we want to do uh, for those of us that read, read our website or looked at our facebook page we've got four prime tenants creative license to give you the players and you the gms as much freedom as possible part of foa's um character growth gives you a lot more freedom to choose whereas a lot of other d20 systems you're very every fighter is the same every rogue's the same apart from a couple of templates like that with FOA, your choice of template, your choice of template, your choice of character build is very much in your hands. Um, uh, creative license, empowerment—that's part of it as well. We want to empower you to be creative. We want to empower you to build your player, build your characters in your same in the same image. We certainly want it to be fun, which, by the sounds of it, from talking to you guys, it is. Um, and I completely forgot the fourth one, <laughs> but we're not worried about it. So we got three and a half. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's that's what we're trying to do. That's the whole premise. It's the whole principles and tenets behind what what we've done. Every skill that we built, every um, uh, game mechanic, every system from the, from sorcery to combat systems, magic system to everything else, it's all built with that premise to make it a accessible and easy to learn, but to give you the players a lot more freedom and. Last one was immersion. That was it. To immerse you in the game and in the world. Um, so that, that touches on what Harriet said earlier about the way the classes feel connected. 
game world and the universe it is in. Um, so that's the whole, everything we've done has been geared towards doing that. Um, so uh, we've been chatting for about oh, 40 minutes now. Uh, so just to quickly wrap up for, for five minutes, because I am literally <laughs> melting. <Yep. laughs> um, so have you guys got anything else to add before we wrap up? And uh, we can let people digest this at their leisure. Yeah. No. Um, oh. Oh, there. Yeah, go so, for it. It's, it's just a touch on uh, magic classes um, while we were discussing them. Uh, yep. Um, but I think, like, as has been shown in the prologue, where you do actually learn the spells, that's the whole thing with the skill mastery, that in itself immerses you so much more because you're not just randomly like, oh, I can do this thing now. Like, you have actually had to work to be able to do that. So you become so much more invested and so much more invested in that way. But also with the magic, um, I think more with sorcerers than anything, um, although I don't know the sorcerer class nearly as well as you guys. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the fact that with every spell, you can sort of create your own imagery for it, I think just instantly enables players to just constantly be inspired and to constantly create the world as they see it. Um, which is just a really nice touch, I think. Like every game and every story you've ever experienced and loved, you can put that into your magic. And I just think that's something wonderful. Yeah, so, um, I totally yeah. agree with you there as well, um, because I've had so many ideas based on characters that I love in, in fiction, non-fiction, all sorts. Um, people, people who have done amazing things in this world and other worlds, um, mm. who use science or use magic or even like just physical, physical stuff as well. Um, there's a lot that goes on in my brain when I'm trying to think of what do I want to cast in this situation? What do, how do I want to explain what I'm doing in this situation so that mm. Ian knows what I'm actually trying to do? with the magic that I have. And it's something that it, it gives me so much creative freedom to go, I can, uh, right, I want to explain it like this so that I can make sure that Ian knows that this is what I want to do and this is how I want to do it, which mm. it's amazing. It really is. Uh, as, as Ian said, and as I've said, it is the crown jewel and the most amazing thing Right. Like, you, you've, not, yeah. you, you, you've not seen my build about a demon wizard yet. I have actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have I have seen it. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you did post it. Um, and um, touching <laughs> okay. on yeah. the other uh, other thing, um, you you've obviously shared a lot of the resources with us and whatnot, and mm -hmm. a lot of the um, even the monster stats, um, specifically um, for the magic classes. And um, see, uh, and uh, my first—sorry, uh, not my first character, my second character. Your first character uh, lasted about two hours. I know. Yeah, my <laughs> first character. Was just, ah, don't don't even bother. Like I rolled <laughs> ones in the first session, three, I think. Um, <laughs> I ended up in, injuring myself permanently, um, which was just yeah, that was fun. <laughs> oh, it's um, not your yeah. day. Ooh. Oh. Really? He, he was just cursed. He was an absolutely cursed character. Um, <laughs> uh, but my second character, um, 
I did something that you said that you didn't think about. Um, and uh, in terms of in terms of incorporating certain um, certain bonuses that could be put on top of each other um, that made basically another second character within the class that I was playing at yep. the time. Um, and it, you, you, like it was uh, and it's the fact that you can just you can tweak and make things your own so that you can make something unique because there are yeah. so many options and there are so many things that you can do with each class that you can just make it your own yeah i think that's yeah. the thing is as far as evapoline more than any other tabletop rpg that i've personally experienced actually encourages you and enables you to fully live out whatever role play like character that you want to dream up the possibility is there and you're actively mm. encouraged to be creative yeah. superb and any <laughs> final words harriet uh, uh well i'm not playing a magic character <laughs> <laughs> you so i'm not going to comment on the magic yeah. um i've looked into it a little bit and i've gone oh sorcerer looks really cool etc but um I think my favorite part, like I've, I did like some historical fencing a couple of years ago. Um, it was only a few months of it, but um, one of the things that I absolutely adored when I first came into this was the fact that like, precision, I can't wait to get that because that looks amazing. And it's also the idea that um, one of the things that they actually taught in historical fencing was, okay, so we're going to teach you all the rules and all the steps and everything like that. And you could do it great, but just remember, even the newbies can hit you because they will do something that you will not expect. <laughs> because if you've got rules, then you're expecting the other people to follow the rules. Mm. So it's it's just like, I love that this is giving you the chance to not follow the rules. Yep. It's like, like, like when I did that um, fight with uh, Granite to start off with, I decided I'm going to throw some mud in his face. Because why not? Yeah. Um, so obviously, there, uh, so for any... Um, certainly from my perspective as a, as a GM, it doesn't matter what system you're playing. If the player wants to step outside of the box and get creative, then go for it. Mm. That's the whole point of the yeah. thing as the creative license. And hopefully that's something because of the freedom and the creative license that FOA tries to empower you and give you will help you step out of that box a little bit more and more often so that you are thinking. Yeah, I mean, like... Table. Like the, the entire premise of this entire game, the whole uh, FOA, it's just like, it's just going, okay, so you have to work for this. So it automatically puts you in the frame of mind to start thinking outside the box, which is just great fun. Yeah, uh, nothing in FOA comes cheaply. Severe amounts of pain and suffering. Uh, one thing we, we love that lesson the hard yeah, way. One thing you, I will guarantee you, for those of you who watch, that uh, join us and carry on watching the show, is these guys will suffer from day one <laughs> to the end of the campaign. Um, Athelene is an world full of unicorns, um, sadly, um, but no, it, it's enjoyable. And guys, um, great feedback. Uh, lovely talking to you. Um, and hopefully um, some other people will come and watch this later on and be able to get some good feedback on on FOA. And we'll be back next Thursday evening around about the same time. Um, with a couple of our other players and 
we'll discuss what happens in episode two, episode three, even. Three. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, the podcast will be available on uh, iTunes tomorrow, and the um, edited version will be up on YouTube tomorrow lunchtime as well. But anyway, um, thanks, Neil and Rob, for being around. Um, yeah. um, <laughs> we hope everybody else is safe and well at what is still quite a difficult time. And we certainly hope you aren't as sweaty and melting as we are. Um, so anyway, uh, cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 That requires me finding the right button. All right, there we go. <laughs>